What's he got? Same business. Gorilla selling two guys in the chopper, followed by men with American equipment. Do you remember Afghanistan? I'm trying to forget it. Come on. Hello, and welcome to the Predator Minute Podcast, where we break down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. My name is Jeff Glover. And I'm John Zabriskie. And thank you all for being here today. I did the intro, John. How did I do? Hey, you nailed it. You nailed it first time. Nailed it. (laughs) No notes. (laughs) No notes. I didn't read that from a page at all. That's right. That's right. Well, hey, thanks for letting me introduce the show. It's fun to be back again. Hey, it's fun to have you. All right. So we are in minute 15, Mm -hmm. which uh, opens up with Dutch telling Billy to get ahead and see what he can find. And it ends with Billy swinging a machete at a vine. (gasps) That rhymes. Wow. I did not even know that. (laughs) Hey, not until I heard it said out loud. (laughs) Go ahead and get see what he can find, and ends with Billy swinging machete at a vine. Anytime. Nice. All right, John, since uh, I am the guest and you are the host, <laughs> I'd like to ask you, what should we talk about first in this minute? Why, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, guest. Uh, you're welcome. I, I, well, I want to talk just briefly about um, the overall depth of this minute. And when I say depth, I mean the camera work. And right off the bat, what I'm noticing that I didn't really make a note of last time, but I still saw it, is the uh, downed chopper or the more fittingly, the hanging chopper in the trees behind Dutch, Dylan, and Poncho when they're conversing, looking back towards the chopper. Uh, if you're not really looking for it, it's kind of hard to see because it blends in so well with the trees and the vines. Uh, but then when you see it, you know, you can't help but notice it on one side and then what appears to be a broken helicopter blade um, a little bit uh, across the way, maybe like 15 or 20 feet and possibly stuck into the ground um, in the opposite hill. And I, I just think that gives the the location itself depth and it reminds you that right they just found this chopper they're not really exploring it any more than just to find what poncha found in the first place which was the uh, pilots each with the round in the head and everything has been stripped out of the chopper yeah you mentioned that in your notes and i i didn't even i don't think i would have noticed it on my own mm-hmm. yeah and as soon as you said that i was like oh yeah there it is in the background still hanging mm-hmm. from the vines Carl Weathers is no longer in there, sticking his head no. in and out of the door. Uh, <laughs> the old snuggle the old shack. Snuggle shack. He's back on the ground. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned the camera work in this minute. I fully 100% agree. I think uh, it's very, very subtle. But when you mm-hmm. watch this minute over and over again, you really kind of see McTiernan kind of flexing his muscles here a little bit because um, mm-hmm. the way he moves the camera really does make you feel like you're in the jungle. He very deliberately will shift the, the beginning of a shot. He'll shift the camera, say, from left to right, sort of through some leaves or branches, and then the camera will settle on, for example, a conversation between Dutch and uh, Poncho at that one point is what I'm thinking of. Um, but he does that several times where he'll sh- he'll move the camera left to right, kind of a pan shot, or he'll do a rack focus, kind of focusing in on the foreground and then the background. really starts to give you a sense of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. And uh, watching the minute over and over again, you really start to appreciate 
what he he brings to the movie as a director. Yeah, I like how you're explaining him flexing his muscles uh, because he's doing a lot of different things with the camera. The camera is just moving around and the camera seems to be just as like claustrophobic and just as I don't know how to, how you describe just kind of like a little bit out of its element here in the jungle just it's looking around it's looking straight up in one scene here just for a few seconds up into the the trees and the vines and the canopy yeah yeah oh yeah no uh the claustrophobic was was the exact word that i was thinking of when i was when i was watching this because he gives you a sense it's interesting it's sort of orienting and disorienting at the same time right it's Mm -hmm. orienting in the sense that you, you start to get a feel for the lay of the land in the jungle but disorienting in that the camera is it takes several different shots right there's one where it's just pointing up at the canopy of the jungle so you get a sense of how tall the trees are and how isolated they probably feel at the bottom. Several times the camera focuses on the foreground to the background, so you get a sense of depth. He moves the camera left and right through the leaves of the jungle just to kind of give a, a sense of how leafy it is and how green it is, although we've we've learned uh, that a lot of that was staged. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like that feeling of claustrophobia, little disorientation, really starts to you feel it in this in this section mm-hmm. and and i would go on to say that the claustrophobia he really plays against that with um some of these deeper shots where you mentioned dutch and poncho having a conversation behind dutch and poncho if you're looking carefully you'll see a couple little rivulets of a waterfall falling um it's one of those things like you would never really notice unless you're looking for it and watching it minute by minute but when they're having their conversation there's very clearly uh, a couple little either waterfalls way in the background or maybe it's some mist but it just yeah it it, it helps it helps play up the angle of not only is this a claustrophobic place but like it's a big place there's like any direction you could go it could it's just going to go into this this deeper wildlands or hinterlands yeah take a wrong turn you're underneath a waterfall yeah 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 (laughs) i uh i didn't even notice those waterfalls in the background watching the minutes several Mm -hmm. times in a row until i I read over your notes and saw you had mentioned that and uh yeah i I had to i had to pause they certainly look like waterfalls or they might like i said it might be mist too because they have a lot of yeah no i think you're right though when i looked at it carefully i was like oh yeah there they are back there uh kind of a cool little detail yeah and it's it's nothing to that we're meant to pay attention to or like even catch. It's just there is just like a little detail. Honestly, like I've been saying for a lot of these things, um, it's something for the characters. Um, it's something for the people in the movie to be experiencing. Well, uh, should we talk about some of the dialogue that happens in the minute? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, not a ton of dialogue. If um, I'm counting the lines, one, two, three, four, five, we're looking at about five people speaking or five different spoken lines of dialogue in this minute. Uh, where it starts off with Dutch saying, get ahead and see what you can find to Billy and Billy saying, yes, sir, and charging off and chasing after those footprints, those signs of the gorillas. Um, and then later on, Dutch and Poncho are making their way through you know, a thicket of trees um, and Poncho comes around Dutch or Poncho is, is watching Billy. I believe what we're meant to think that he's watching Billy. So he's like second point and then right. Dutch walks dutch walks around poncho and asks what's he got and poncho says same business gorillas hauled out two guys from the chopper followed by men with american equipment do you remember afghanistan and dutch says trying to forget it come on (laughs) that was my terrible arnold (laughs) sounds very (laughs) trying to forget it come on although (laughs) when when he says it (laughs) i've got to forget it come on (laughs) it it 
It is interesting to me because there's a little bit of like a smile in, in, when he's exchanging yeah, he this does, with Poncho. He does. But, it's like playful almost. Yeah. Yeah. But as, as soon as he sends Poncho on and, and very honestly like fatherly or uh, protective, you know. Um, right. Run along, kiddo. Right. Run along, Poncho. Run along, little Ponchito. Ponchito. I just had a bunch of Ponchitos uh, the other day at, <laughs> down, God, down so in Azteca. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Extra crispy with the chicken on the Ooh. bottom. Oh, dive for it. <laughs> but as, as soon as he pushes Ponchito away after Billy again, like his face just, or Arnold's face drops into this, this serious mask again. So he's clearly, clearly just trying to put him at ease, especially with like the line reading, you know, trying to forget right. it. Yeah. No, I, uh, I made a, uh, some, a note about that exact moment because well, a note I, in my brain, you know, I don't write things down, John. <laughs> <laughs> I made a note about that because we had a conversation in a previous minute about how uh, Arnold does so much visual acting with his eyes and his facial expressions, and you totally see it. You're absolutely right in that in that moment. He sends Poncho along, and then you're right. His face drops, his eyes dart around. Clearly, he was putting on airs a little bit. He was uh, trying mm-hmm. to reassure Dutch. Kind of, he said that playfully to him to reassure him. Not Dutch, but Poncho. And send him on his right. way. As soon as Poncho leaves, you can tell that it's more serious to him that he's letting on. And you can just see right. that all in his eyes and his face and the way his whole expression changes. It's pretty it's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. It's pretty great. And and it's really showing uh some leadership on Dutch's part. Just, it's it's always part of being a good leader or teacher or parent or anything like that, is is that there's like that balance of doing the job but also having that that personable that personable manner where you're trying to you know connect with someone on a human level and right not just see them as a job right. or an asset <laughs> see my kids as assets <laughs> you are an expendable you're an asset. expendable asset you are a means to a paycheck <laughs> my, my children are not expendable <laughs> all right so should we talk about the line about Afghanistan? Yeah, we should. It's um, it's. I, I looked it up in the old TV tropes because it instantly made me think about other movies that do this that'll reference like a little thing and then they'll just kind of move on and never um, explain it, right? Yeah, they never explain it, and you're never meant to know what it's about unless they make a prequel about it and then <laughs> kind of ruin it all. Like oh, Clone right. Wars, that's what the Clone Wars are. You fought in the Clone Wars years ago. You served my father in the Clone Wars. Begun the Clone War has. Oh, should have just left uh, it, but left it alone. <laughs> just let let it let it lie. <laughs> but in TV tropes talk, tvtropes.org is a great site for checking out the kind of cliches or just like the story beats or yes, characters, yes. I've seen that archetypes. Yeah, it's it's a great site if you want to just like easily lose yourself for a couple hours and exploring the different kind of things that happen over and over. And movies, film, TV, animation, stage acts. I don't know. <laughs> stage. Right. It's like writing. I know. It's like, not going to happen. No. <laughs> no. Uh, but they call this one, they call this the noodle incident. Um, and I was going to ask you about this, not to interrupt, but yeah. do you know why it's called the noodle incident? Is it referencing some... Uh, the like the original time this happened perhaps or the original time this happened um <laughs> we don't talk about it see you don't you just don't know about it <laughs> that's a good uh that's a good troll just call it the noodle incident and and then never yeah. explain why it's called that that would be perfect <laughs> you remember the noodle incident <laughs> trying to forget it come on <laughs> oh so, so many, many noodles. noodles don't you remember uh but it 
Did you ever read the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes? Oh my god, John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, side note. Speaking of language, I, side note. I was, this has now become the Calvin and Hobbes podcast. Sorry, everybody. Calvin and Hobbes cast. I think there is a Calvin and Hobbes cast. Just uh, so you know. But I so go on. I uh, I owned like every single Calvin and Hobbes collection when I was a kid. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Uh, I would read them front to back and back to front over and over again. I still have a couple of them as an adult, but. Uh, I made the mistake of bringing them to my classroom. As you know, listeners, oh, no. John and I are teachers. Mm-hmm. Word to the wise kids, don't take anything that you enjoy or want to save uh, to your classroom because it will inevitably be destroyed, stolen, lost, I don't know, covered in boogers. I don't know. <laughs> made fun <laughs> of. Made fun of. Lunch. They won't understand. <laughs> but uh, I I still have three, I think, collections. And I, at one point I had seven or eight. Yeah, they made a ton of those collections. And excuse me, I think my mom still has mine. So I just need to yeah. sometime go grab them all and bring them home, not to class. but Right. Yeah. Don't take them to your classroom. Long story short, I love Calvin and Hobbes. It's my favorite comic that's ever been drawn slash written of all time awesome yeah yeah i'm i'm bringing up the source right now from calvin hobbs i just searched google images for noodle incident Mm. and calvin is telling hobbs all i can say is this year santa had better bring everything on my list i've been extremely good all year and hobbs says what about the noodle incident yes and calvin yells no one can prove i did that I so remember that comment. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing it now again. I remember, I remember it. I do, I do. Wow, that's great. As soon as you started reading it, it like popped into my memory. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that. That's yeah. the reference. That's great. That that's the reference, and right, obviously with Afghanistan, we're not meant to know anything about it. But I, I did like instantly become curious about. Wait, with all the examples they list on TV tropes, did they list Afghanistan mentioned mm. on Predator? And they mm. did. They put it in yes. the examples. I was. I was pretty proud. I don't. I don't know why I'm feeling a moment of pride of like there's predator on the internet. Like it made it. <laughs> but it made it. <laughs> people know about this movie. You was, mean your podcast is not the first content? <laughs> but what do you? So yeah, I put in my notes. What do you think happened in Afghanistan? Because notice what he's saying. Right, he's saying in the dialogue, uh, same business. Gorillas hauled out two guys from the chopper, followed by men with American mm-hmm. equipment. And he immediately says, do you remember Afghanistan? Yeah. So that's what I was going to bring up. He says it like almost in the same breath. Mm-hmm. Like whatever they're experiencing now uh, clearly reminds him <laughs> of what happened in Afghanistan. Right. So, you know, I, I, I could, there's jokes I suppose you could make there, but I was trying to think of it seriously and something along the lines perhaps of like them searching for uh, some soldiers that had either gone missing or been captured. Uh, Maybe they were in some situation where they were on a mission to go retrieve these particular soldiers and something bad happened. Mm -hmm. And so this is reminding uh, Poncho of that incident because it's similar in style. Sure. And um, at the time in Afghanistan, they would have been fighting uh, the Soviets or Soviet-backed forces. Again, there's that great return of the awesome 80s villain. Yeah, the the evil Soviet villain, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I don't... Do you have a theory? Uh, I I was thinking about this, you know, pretty much since I wrote it down as a note, like, that's all I've been thinking about. I haven't been thinking about work (laughs) or parenting or going to the bathroom. It's just been the Afghanistan. What the hell happened in Afghanistan? (laughs) What the hell happened? You're like, you're like Jim Carrey in 13, just writing shit on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) 
Was that what it's called? 13? No, 23? 23. <laughs> I'm close. Whatever. Yeah, John, just... I've been drinking. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's a ter- terrible Whatever. Terrible you get the idea. Yeah. You're obsessive. I'm obsessive. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't really think of anything that really comes to mind. Just and not that I mean, that's just the way he asks. It's very like mysterious sounding like it is. Remember Afghanistan? Like like I almost couldn't believe what happened in Afghanistan. And if it's a chopper that's down and people who are taken prisoner from the chopper, that doesn't seem that out of the ordinary for a rescue team. It seems like this specialized rescue team would have seen a lot of stuff, including, you know, this maybe multiple times. So I don't understand how this is so mysterious. Maybe it's right. Well, if we think about it, like what's different about this? Well, you have like the other troops following this, right. the six Americans or the six people with American equipment following. So maybe there's that tie-in, like they weren't told something else and maybe there's like a cover-up that they're not aware of, you know, because obviously Dylan's not telling them the whole story. He's right. Just, he's just really tight-lipped. In fact, in the beginning of this minute, as Dutch and Poncho are walking down, starting to follow Billy, Dutch just looks at Dylan, just gives him this this paused look um, where in the screenplay he says something about like make sure we don't have any accidents but in the movie it's just cut out it's just the silent look he gives mm. Dylan so maybe that's what Poncho's referring to and saying you know maybe there's sneakier things afoot right yeah no it might be you're right it might be more general like whatever situation they were in there was uh, an element of unknown or or someone had kept some important information from them and it caused the mission to go awry like perhaps they met up with George Clooney and Ice Cube and Spike Jones and they tried to go steal Saddam Hussein's gold mm, bad idea. oh wait that was in Iraq and that was the plot of Three Kings right <laughs> that was Sorry, a different everybody. movie. He's like, remember that I movie just... with Ice Cube? <laughs> Trying to forget it. Come on. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> remember that Sorry, time? Everyone. A bunch of mountain <laughs> half house mountain boys took down a chopper in Afghanistan. <laughs> Trying <right>. to forget it. <laughs> the middle of the minute is following Billy as he's making his way, following the tracks footprints broken foliage and the camera pans right to follow him as it follow as it follows him right uh some drums pick up a little bit we'll talk about the drums please in a minute Mm, and uh and you hear some bird sounds and right as you're hearing the drums and the bird sounds all of a sudden poncho's face which had been blurred the whole time as it panned right Mm -hmm. um it focuses right on him it rack focuses from billy uh to poncho who's in the foreground which if right you're watching this the first time that really jumps out at you that's almost like this whoa like he's, he's been being you know he's been he has he has been being no <laughs> <laughs> billy's uh <laughs> billy's under surveillance the whole time from his teammates and that's something else that um, i talked a lot about in the beginning um i was first recording with aaron not only claustrophobia as a common motif but also this being watched as a, a common mm-hmm. motif yeah no you're right it's uh one of the things i like about this movie is although it's clear when you're watching from the perspective of the predator rather than just the camera the camera still moves in a way that makes you feel like you're sort of there watching everyone mm-hmm. right yeah like from a maybe a hit, hidden vantage point or whatnot it's uh yeah it's really effective the way he moves the camera through this minute and you mentioned the drums i just want to say once again how much i love those damn drums 
every time they come on, I'm just like, oh yes, the drums. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just gives you like such a good feeling about. I, I don't know. It's so hard to explain, but it's just such the perfect sound, perfect score to be in the background when they're approaching something that's a little unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I just it, it just it. adds to like all the jungle sounds and the music. So the music mm-hmm. going on is this. It's just this kind of dun dun dun. It's very like march centric track where it's just like we're progressing through the jungle right. we're making our Does, way it feels very jungly because of the mm-hmm. the rapid drumming sound mm-hmm. yeah but it's just it's just creates like this wall of sound like it, it just not only are pinched in by all the scenery poncho's face all of a sudden being in your face but also just just auditorially you're 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 closed in by the sound um right there's there's little in the way of you know opening in terms of silence little in terms of of opening in terms of physical space. Um, even when we look up and see Poncho's view as he's looking up at supposedly some bird sounds, we're looking at the top of the canopy and the light is barely coming through. And it's not sunlight, it's just this right. overcast looking sky. We're I don't think we see the sun at all in this movie. And if so, maybe at the very, very, very end, because we didn't see it at the beginning either. Right. Yeah, um, that's a interesting... A note about the being a wall of sound. I like that a lot. And if you watch this movie in like a proper surround sound system, like a 5.1 or a 7.1, what you notice is that the when the drums come on, they come on through all the speakers. Ooh. And so you you hear it surrounding you and it's definitely a different sound. It does it you're right, it does give you a sense of being closed in when those start up. Mm-hmm. So great. Um, so as as we follow Billy picking up the trail, it cuts between the rack focus to Poncho's face to Dutch and Poncho talking about Afghanistan, trying to forget it, mm-hmm. to the last few seconds of this minute, which is at first this still still shot of not a still shot. It's just a, a static camera, Sta- yeah, um, a static shot, yeah, yeah. just of, of the jungle itself with the vine hanging down. And mm-hmm. I'll talk about the vine in a minute, and then Billy rises up into the frame. Um, and again, I think this is more John McTiernan trying out more of his camera tricks, um, where I believe the way Billy rises up into this is to give us a sense of Billy's isolation. He's out there tracking. So if anybody's going to find something, it's going to be Billy first. He's going to be the one to step into a trap or step into danger. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to give away next the next couple of minutes, but uh, he'll be very much the first to discover something for the team as they make their jungle trek following the gorilla trail. Yeah, I, yeah. I just really like him popping up, and then he right is grabs this vine that's <laughs> very much like the production team said. Uh, we need to put a vine right here. <laughs> just just the way it stands out reminds me of like old school animation uh, or video games where like the background is animated yes, in such, in such yes. a way. It's just like a still thing, a static, not moving thing, and then the one thing that you know the character is going to interact with, like I don't know, a car. Uh-huh. Or a crowbar. It's like that's differently animated. It's like lighter in yeah, color. Yeah, has a different color, and is clearly you're supposed to grab that that right. item. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the vine is like the the crowbar from the Double Dragon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God! It's my favorite. Double Dragon Two is the greatest video game ever made. Um, <laughs> is that one two player? That one is two, two player co-op, yes, right? Yes, but they're both two player co-op. Yeah. No, Double Dragon One. You took turns. I know this one because oh, I remember really? going to a friend's. You could do the competitive part the versus mode where you're like you're both billy or you're both jimmy or you're both in part one you couldn't play cooperatively no not in the nes version oh man that's bullshit dude part two was the bomb you could play with your friend yeah oh yeah that was awesome (laughs) 
Um, so I was, I'm glad you bring up the very end because once again, uh, after watching the minute over and over again and watching the very last section, like over and over again, <laughs> looped, I feel like it would make another good gif because he really sort of like pops up from the jungle and like he whacks that, that branch out of the way and like then looks around left to right. And uh, I like in the in the flow of the movie, it works really well. But once again, when you watch the minute over and over again, it's, it starts to look pretty funny. It appears to be like the one thing in his way. And he's like, well, I it's can take care whack. of this. It <laughs> reminds like, me of uh, what, are, <laughs> what it reminds me of is, uh, are you a, a fan of Arrested Development? Oh, a huge fan. I've seen this season okay. so many times. Okay. So one of my favorite running gags uh, that they do in Arrested Development is Tobias Fuque. No, I'm afraid I just blew myself. Will just end. Sometimes he'll just enter a scene from a random <laughs> position that makes zero sense. <laughs> and there's one in particular that always makes me laugh, where they're doing a scene in like the living room, and you don't really notice him unless you're looking. But he's standing behind a large house plant. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, he pushes the plant aside and he just emerges and he has a line in the conversation. And, and uh, Billy sort of reminds me of uh, Tobias Fuque here because the way he pops up and pushes the the plant uh, out of the way. Right. Yeah, he pushes somewhat like this huge, like, obviously place their leaf out of the way and then he just mm-hmm. like the one thing else in frame he just grabs this vine he's like well, i'm gonna hack this to pieces <laughs> right <laughs> without any context you think is like he's hacking his way through like a really thin part of the jungle <laughs> just walk around it belly yeah and we'll get to it in the next minute but uh the way he lets the fluid drip onto his lapel really bothers me it's the, it's <laughs> I I just I'm just waiting for that drip to hit the inside and like touch his bare skin and it I I just I worry about him. <laughs> worry about you, Billy. You don't want that cold liquid on the inside yeah, of your shirt. And, yeah. Ne- next next couple minutes we'll definitely be talking about what's in that vine. Is that yeah, just like so milky, so milky and <laughs> hydrating and nutritious and jungle tastic. Like I said, like all the jungle things that we've been reading about in the <clears throat> field manual for jungle operations, like does not really do not really apply to this team. They are just no. They're they're just trekking through and throwing grenades. Yeah, chucking through. Yeah, taking <laughs> grenades out. I like in this scene also with Billy. He um, is chopping the vine. He's using this much larger machete and very clearly oh, it's huge. In yeah, his it's in his side pocket, he also has what appears to be like a Bowie knife or something like that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that's not a knife. It's like no, this right. this is <laughs> that's my stabbing knife. This is my like, my uh, vine knife. <laughs> kill killing a fly with a bazooka. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good I didn't notice that every episode or so I'm looking at this 1982 field manual for the army titled Jungle Operations because it seemed fitting finding a document that would be talking about what the army would be reading here in the 80s in terms of how to operate in the jungle how to complete missions how to track people how to gear up with the mention of boots a couple of different times and Billy tracking those boots saying, saying that these must be American boots I did a little bit of research and the field manual for the army uh, on a page about jungle gear it just mentions a little bit about jungle boots and I'll have some more details in a minute. But it mentions that these boots are lighter and faster drying than all leather boots. Their cleated soles will maintain footing on steep slippery slopes. The ventilating insoles should be washed in warm soapy water when the situation allows. And there's this beautiful 
little illustration someone did of you know the soldier <laughs> holding the M16. It says jungle fatigues. It says jungle boots. Uh, and then yeah, it shows he looks him very very happy there, doesn't he? It yeah. shows him. It looks it looks thrilled to be in the jungle. It's like even <laughs> even illustrated people like do Wait, not want to be in the jungle. Do you see in this picture below? It says insect bar. Yeah, the insect bar uh, refers to the the shield you put around like when you're resting. It's like a mosquito net, basically. No, that's where they all go to have a drink after they're done with their insect work <laughs> come on john yeah they're drinking some delicious it's the insect bar insect bar right <laughs> <laughs> tie one on it's it's five o'clock somewhere in the right. insect world they call the bugs from a bug's hey, life or whatever they, they work hard they can carry 500 times their own weight yeah they work hard doing their own little insect jobs you know kick right. up and tie a few on an insect bar. So the the jungle boots are not talked a lot about in the field manual other than that and showing a kind of a crudely illustrated uh, picture of jungle boots. But I did a little bit of research, a little bit of research on jungle boots as you do. And Wikipedia <laughs> tells me that uh, during the 1980s, they're, um, they were adding some things to the jungle boots that were in use by the army during the Vietnam War. Uh, they're adding such things as a rubber sole composition and use of waterproof poron linings linings instead of saran ventilating insoles, which turned out to be a huge problem I was reading about in the Wikipedia article and also on some forums from soldiersystems.net, where a lot of veterans would go on and complain about how they switched to the poron in the 80s and they need to go back to saran. I don't know hmm. what that means. I think saran is the company that makes saran wrap, but they're <laughs> also making these insoles that were not like saran wrap insoles, which sounds like right. the least ventilating thing ever, but right. reading about it, they're they're kind of like Gore-Tex for feet and the boots were made in such a way where they had hollow spaces under the insoles to mm. allow air ventilation. And how did you allow the water ventilation? Well, the boots themselves have these little eyelets, uh, almost like when you you know when you tie your shoe, you put your laces through these eyelets. These eyelets would be right at the uh, bottom of the shoe, so that as you step out of the water, out of the muck, and you push your foot down, moisture not the moisture the water would uh, vacate from the boot pretty quickly, and then mm. the, the air holes or the vacuums under the feet or the air pockets would. Um, allow the feet to dry up, which would be preventing what some people slangly called trench feet or patty feet. So just yeah. just a little bit about the jungle boots. And I don't know about you, but just like boots in general, I'm not a big boot wearer. So I can't imagine uh, being in the army and wearing jungle boots. I'm not a big boot wearer either. I, uh, I mean, I... I enjoy my outdoor winter sports. I'm a, I'm a skier, mm -hmm. so I, I wear my ski boots. Uh, but uh, just, just recently, I was at a... Um, I went to a college football game, and uh, I don't know if anyone caught the uh, Washington Washington State Apple Cup, mm -hmm. but if you watched that game, it was uh, dumping snow. I was at that game, and I was standing in the snow, and in my three and a half hours of standing there, I wished I had worn boots mm -hmm. that that had eyelets to get rid of the icy cold water that was pooling under my feet. Oh, man. Yeah. I did. I was bundled up in every other way, but I did not think about bringing good waterproof shoes or boots. And uh, my feet were essentially ice blocks by the end. Oh, man. So made me realize, like, if you are on a long trek where you are in the elements, my like my feet were frozen and it hurt like hell. And I can only imagine being stuck in 
a cold, wet environment for an extended period of time. I was able to leave the game and go warm up inside somewhere, and it was fine. But uh, having shoes or boots that were not well insulated or, or designed for the, the environment would, would suck. Yeah, it really yeah, suck. It would really suck. Um, you mentioned long treks, and what people online were generally saying was that if you're not in the elements and you're still making a long trek, you, you would not be using a jungle boot because, like I mentioned before, mm. they had these hard rubber soles, meaning you could push down a little bit easier on like the less than solid terrain and give yourself a little boost based mm-hmm. on your boots. But you wouldn't wear that for a longer trek because you'd always be hitting that high heel, and that would cause a lot of sore feet and not the paddy feet or trench feet but more like <laughs> just i don't know heel blowouts and the like and this has been your boot minute your boot minute <laughs> so go out and buy some get, vintage get some high quality boots folks save your feet boots it's like it's forrest gump right and forrest <laughs> gump he says take care of your feet take good care of your feet he does he's like change your socks take care of your feet god dang it jeff i'm gonna have to put that in the Lieutenant Dan. I have to put that audio in. I keep on adding cuts. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great. It's great fun. I I greatly enjoy that. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. In the director commentary, John McTiernan is continuing on with what he started to talk about a couple minutes ago, which is really just about how hard it was to make the jungle look legitimate, uh, where they had to add a lot of vines and leaves in front of the camera. And he's saying this as this minute's playing, meaning Mm. a lot of the things that we're seeing being pushed aside by Billy or that's right (laughs) in the way of the camera as Dutch and Poncho are talking are added there just artificially. They're not part of the the scenery. They had to import those. He, He also went on to mention just a little bit about and this will be talked about a lot later uh, in later minutes. But in the beginning, he had these just huge crowds of crew people from Mexico because when they filmed in Mexico, part of the deal was that they had to uh, run all their labor through the syndicato, which right in Spanish means uh, syndicate. So, mm. you can, so there's a huge labor union down there and a, a lot of people without a lot of training who are just part of the syndicato. That's something to touch on in the next couple minutes when there's a little bit more details that he provides, but just something to think about when you're seeing these films and it seems so isolated, there's still just tons of people on the set doing either nothing or doing just very little, at least for the first few minutes. Cause for the most part, I believe a lot of this movie was shot chronologically, man, what a nightmare. Hundreds of people and not, don't know what to do with them. Yep. They have no movie training probably whatsoever. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to get into that later. Cause that, uh, I'm sure there's some good stories to go along with that. It reminds me, being a leadership teacher where it'd be like oh here's this one job for uh, maybe four or five <laughs> students and the class was maybe 30 students like, right. what am i doing with the other 25 26 right. students right you're just like standing around like yeah you're earning your leadership cred but mm. you're like <laughs> what, do, what do i do with you right okay the last thing i had was just a big what if being the big what if of if they had found the chopper and they had found the cabinet minister and the aide killed there on scene, either during the mm. chopper crash or killed by the gorillas, what do you think would have happened? I, I have my own like single <laughs> fade, theory. but Fade to black, credits roll. <laughs> fade to black, <laughs> credits roll. They just played the repelling scene in reverse. They're just yeah. like, whoop, whoop. <laughs> and done. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's interesting. Um, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, would that change the story that much? I mean, 
mean, if the idea is that they are, this is the fact that they're chasing this person, chasing or, or trying to rescue this person is really just a, it's a construct to get this group of people into the jungle so that we can tell the story of the predator hunting them down and killing them, right? Yeah. So, you know, so I don't know if it necessarily matters if, if they live or die, that the the point of the story, at least, is to get this group of soldiers into the jungle so that they can run into the predator. You know? Right. It's just been interesting to me. Just, I mean, I wouldn't want to see that and like change the whole movie, but it's just interesting to speculate a little bit about sure. you know, what would they have done? Would they have just immediately tried to evac out of there? Or would they have sought mm. revenge and still followed the dozen or so boots? Uh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Said, hey, it's payback time. Right. <laughs> Right, time like, to throw some grenades. Time to throw some grenades. The more I think about that scene, the more I am excited about that scene because <laughs> they just flip and go nuts. They just, oh, just push the car down the hill. That'll be a good way to open up the fighting. Because <laughs> they see the one guy killed, but they don't know about the other guy. If they're just chucking grenades, they're so like, "Well, I, I hope he's already been killed." Because if not, like he's dead now. He's just in chunks now. <laughs> yeah, he was dead when we got there. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be great. I. I, uh, I have to tell you, John, your notes are uh, really well done, always. <laughs> Thank you. Thank they're, you. Always, they're always really well organized. I'm always impressed. You put a Thank lot you. of time into these, yeah. Oh, oh, the last thing I would say to mention is that during this scene, before Billy chops down the vine even, yeah. uh, in the script, um, we have Schaefer, we have Dutch talking to Dylan and giving him a little kind of like sarcastic, we don't want any accidents uh, to Dylan. And then it shows the whole team in the script rappelling down cliffs. And um, Oh, this is all in the script? This is all in the script. And, oh. so, and so that's another awesome change, in my opinion, that McTiernan made where he said, we don't need to see them rappelling or making huge trips through the jungle. We just need to see it like place to place. Right. With, with this minute we're watching being one of the few transition minutes, I would say, where you're going from something to another thing. Talk about the other thing yet, but obviously that's mm-hmm. uh, safe say that for the end of next minute but also in the script at this point before billy chops down the vine we start to see a couple things from the predator we see the predator's active camouflage uh, moving around and actually glowing the yellow eyes for oh, us the really? audience okay yeah so, yeah they brought it in earlier yeah. yeah just a few minutes early i believe it's three yeah. minutes earlier than what we see in the movie and it also starts to show the predator's vision the altered pov is what they call yes, it in the script the, uh, the, the heat vision it kind of looks like Yes, the quote-unquote heat vision. Right. And and for those minutes, I've, I've been talking to my dad. I think I want, I think my my dad was all for coming on talking on the show about that because he's actually yes. done a lot of work with uh, heat vision cameras with infrared cameras and oh really the tech field. So yeah, he he would have a lot to say. Oh, awesome! So I'm really really excited for that. Have another Zabriskie on there. Yeah, you're just good running through every family member. <laughs> every Zabriskie. If you have Zabriskie in your name, when, I'm coming. When for is you. your daughter coming on? <laughs> She was on one of the early episodes, just by kind of like yelling in the background. She was. She popped into the room. She, she, yeah, she had some cameos in the early episodes where I'd edit out probably ten or fifteen minutes of (laughs) a side time of me talking her down and saying, "No, no, like, no, you you come back in a few minutes." Right. Dad's recording right now. Dad's drinking at. 11 in the morning on a Saturday. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, so, yeah, speaking of the next couple of minutes, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff and I are expecting some really special guests here. I'm not going to spoil who this will be, um, but I can give you a little hint. It has a lot to do with Billy making a frightening discovery in the jungle. Oh. So if you can run your 
run in your mind the movie catalog scenes where you so different scenes from different movies where people came across scary images in the jungle try to see if you can line that up with one of the movies covered by some movies by minute folks mm. so i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it there though quite the cliffhanger john yeah cliffhanger if you want to find out who it is you either have to listen or just read the show notes for next week <laughs> <laughs> Can't you can it. just do that. <laughs> you can, yeah, that's what people do all the time on like these podcasts. So like, we're not going to tell you right who's making an appearance, but it's in the, show notes. In the show notes. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about where people can find you, Jeff? Like, oh, of course, my favorite part of the show, <laughs> where I give my Twitter handle. And then you, immediately you I, have, <laughs> I immediately just watch my watch my follower count skyrocket every single time. Bump. The predator minute bump. You can find me at Carl. That's Carl with a K. Carl underscore Hungus. That's a capital H. Capital K Carl underscore capital H Hungus. Don't forget the three one four. Pie. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, occasionally retweeting things. Come find me there. <laughs> hey, speaking of Carl Hungus, um, uh huh. Yes. Yeah, he is played. We talked about this before, but he's played by Peter Stormare. And then I was, Rex. and Peter Stormare is like, it's like Jack Palance nowadays. Like anytime he pops up, I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking back to the podcast. I, I was watching this uh, kind of anime series on Netflix called Castlevania, and Peter Stormare mm. plays an awesome character i can't remember his name it's god really? something like god brand or something like that but his character in like this this world of serious vampires and vampire lords and evil battling good to like the highest degree and just like gore and guts everywhere in this series <laughs> uh, peter stormare's character is like this kind of light-hearted demon who's on the bad side but who's always like kind of ribbing the other vampire lords and the other demons yes uh, and so i immediately think of carl hungus whenever i hear his <laughs> voice and he's, he's just such a highlight of that show so that's awesome yeah so if, if we were giving daily or weekly recommends uh, that would be my weekly recommend to be castlevania uh, and the peter stormare episodes which i don't think start until season mm. two castlevania with a carl hungus tie-in <laughs> But it's that's, Castlevania with a C, so I know if your your no, K finger might be tired, right. you can yeah. reach over to the C just <laughs> it's for a Castle with a K underscore Vania. Yeah, three fourteen. Three one four. You can find me. <laughs> Carl Hungus Vania. Um, All right. Did, very did, very cool. So Carl Hungus, did you have any uh recommends we can go over real quick? Anything from the week that's caught your eye or ear? Uh let's see. I uh I just uh this is a TV show. I just finished watching uh Homecoming on Amazon Prime, which is an Amazon Prime original starring Julia Roberts. Hmm. Um, it's 10, I believe 10 episodes. It's a quick watch. Each episode's only a half an hour. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's really good. It's, uh, it jumps back and forth in time and it's about, uh, Julia Roberts plays a woman who is, or who used to work for a company, a private company that would help soldiers reacclimate themselves to life at home. Uh -huh. And, uh, turns out that some weird stuff was going on, uh, at this place where the soldiers would go. I don't want to talk any more about it to spoil sure. it. Uh, Julie Roberts is really good in it. And the story is pretty cool and interesting and it's a fast watch. So I recommend those 10 episodes homecoming. Very awesome. Good. Um, just as a unrelated note, did any of these soldiers see jungle combat? 
that you know of? Uh, I think some of them may have found some gold. Um, I think Spike Jones was there and maybe Ice Cube. All right, all right. I'm trying to forget it. I'm trying to George Clooney. <laughs> oh, and Marky Mark. Marky Mark oh, was yeah. there too. Hey, yeah. forget about it, brah. <laughs> Nah, fucking yeah, gold. Yeah. Just in the <laughs> in the fucking desert. In the fucking desert. <laughs> uh, oh wait, that's the plot of Three Kings. <laughs> Are we shooting people or what? This is Three Kings Minute podcast, right? It is not Three Kings Minute podcast. Oh shit! <laughs> oh, shit. The wrong, I put on the wrong. <laughs> Put on the wrong Google Hangouts number. <laughs> this is John with a K. Come on. <laughs> uh, all right, that's it. That's all I got to recommend. Thank you for the recommend. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Give the listeners something to go fill up their ear, their eyeballs with. After there we filling go. up their earballs with lots of predator talk. <laughs> earballs. Ear gross. <laughs> <laughs> but eyeballs isn't gross. Earballs are. Yeah. Earballs is disgusting. Yeah. It's just, yeah. We'll never say that again. Earballs. <laughs> I want to I give credit. I want to, how would you say it? Give a shout out? Mm-hmm. That sounds lame. That's very millennial. I'll give a shout out to the artist providing our bumper music for the intro and outro. It is Chaosware, just totally ripping it up on the electric guitar, the Predator mm-hmm. theme, originally by Alan Silvestri. But if you go to Chaosware's page, that's K-A-O-S-W-A-R-E, you will find his Predator cover in which he plays this electric guitar and he's done something with the graphics to make the electric guitar take on active camouflage as he's playing. Ooh. It is awesome. It's just that's blends sweet. in with everything else. I have no idea how he did it, but he was gracious enough to let us use the audio for the intro and outro. Also, someone providing permission to use their music, which I probably should do more of, but who has the time? Um, uh, for the Jungle Operations Field Manual, I have an intro uh, music playing by the artist Smooth McGroove who's a YouTube Ooh. acapella singer. He's the YouTube, he's the kind of YouTube artist where he puts up eight different panels of himself singing to the different parts of the song acapella. Oh, and it creates cool. this nice. yeah. awesome layered effect of hearing a complete song. And the song we use for the field manual for Jungle Operations is his cover of the Jungle theme and the intro to the nes game contra nice so it's 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 very melodic it's very soothing when you first listen to it but he dives into the stage or the stage music and it's pushing it's very moving uh, and i i really enjoy it and when i asked him if i could use that little clip he said yes that's awesome thanks yeah. smooth yeah thank you smooth um and if you have ever tried <laughs> if you have ever tried to forget afghanistan trying to forget it come on Please email us at predatorminute at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can find the home feed at SoundCloud, home of the RSS feed also. Mm. Uh, but we're on all kinds of podcasting services, namely the big three, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Although I don't know if Google Play is really that big. I think it's really Stitcher and iTunes running the game. Spotify is getting big too on podcasts. Spotify. Yeah, for Spotify, I think I have to join Libsyn and pay a monthly subscription. If you have stolen any gold from Saddam Hussein. Are we shooting people or what? Oh my God, this with, again. With Spike Jones <laughs> and Ice Cube and Marky Mark. <laughs> Don't email us. <laughs> 
Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Yeah, keep that gold because people are just going to want to steal gold. It's, you know, a gold-based economy still. All of our money based on the promise of gold and silver. For Predator Minute, I've been John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And until next time... Stick around. (laughs) 